Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. An ongoing conversation with ministry leaders about embracing complexity and uncertainty with joy and faithfulness. This is Beth Daniel with the Ministry Collaborative. I'm here with my colleagues, Mark Ramsey, Adam Mixon, Jennifer Maxell, Adam Borneman, and we will be discussing the blog post series on the I Am Statements of Jesus, particularly today, the John 14, 6, I Am the Way, the Truth, and the Life. I use the analogy given to me by a friend, Steve Hainer, that the church is an airport, not a destination. And Steve explained that airports are really important. They help and guide people who are on a journey, people who are on the way to somewhere else. Some airports are better than others, but even the very best airports are not the destination or the end goal or the point of the journey. And so it is with the church. Church is really important. The church helps and guides people who are on a journey, serving people who are on the way. But church, regardless of size or resources or location, etc., is not the destination or the end goal, or the point. And this is cause for much joy and relief. Well, Beth, first of all, welcome to our little group that meets, and for you being part of our ministry, we're grateful. I really appreciated this post, especially putting that metaphor over against or in tension with a verse of Scripture that is often mangled beyond any measure of grace. Because, as I've often said, Jesus gave no formulas in his ministry, but people hit John 14, and often they'll seize on this as a formula to decide who's in and who's out. And so totally changing that to launching pad and destination completely opens the Scripture up, I think, to appreciate it again. So I confess that when we were giving out who was writing on which I am statement, I really did not want the John fourteen six one. I was really hoping for sheep. You know, I'm Welsh, and so we're outnumbered by sheep 30 to 1. So I really was ready for the shepherd. And for that reason, Mark, that it is often weaponized. It is a scripture that's weaponized. And actually, I tested it with a class that I was teaching the morning that I wrote this, and it immediately created division. Mm-hmm. And so I had to really look at this text and how can we look at it in its context and really reclaim that grace, which is in this passage. Jesus starts out, as I say in the blog, with do not let your hearts be troubled. That is not the introduction to a who's in, who's out kind of scenario or teaching. So I really wanted to reframe that and reclaim what Jesus is doing in this whole series, trying to explain that he is God. I want to say thank you personally, Beth, for writing the article. Uh, We had a reimagining church cohort meeting this past weekend, and one of our entry points was the blog post, and it just created all kinds of constructive conversation as we reimagine what it means to be church in this generation and how we can move from this all-important kind of self-referential idea of who we are to this means to another end, Mm -hmm. not so much the destination, but the one who helps people to reach that destination. That is very important and a necessary conversation, I think, right now. I've been sharing in a number of contexts the last few months with pastors and others that we work with at our network to talk about the different ways in which my own ecclesiology has 
evolved in recent years as I do this work and just see what the Spirit is doing. And one of the key, perhaps the most important aspect of it is that the gathered church on Sunday mornings does not seem to be strictly the beginning or the end of anything, that it really is an on-the-way type of gathering, and that ministry is primarily on the way with people. When actually, when I read not just John 14 uh, or even the Gospels, but the entire narrative of scriptures, and really, I think the best of our faith tradition is to say, you know, the reason we gather is because we have come alongside one another in these other ways out there in the world, that you not dare gather in this place if we're not following the ways of God out in the world. So it was such a great way to really hone in on that principle and really helped me to flesh out some of my own thinking on that. And I think also our thinking just with what we see with pastors on the ground who are realizing, oh, this thing that we do in this gathered space is not the, the sole beginning or end of anything, but it is part of being on the way with people coming alongside them and attending to the Spirit. So one of the things I really appreciate about uh, your article, Beth, thank you so much, is One, that it names something that is, I think, such a part of our culture, not just the church. But I think in the way we think about church, it takes us out of the running. And that is the fact that life has become very transient for all of us, that so much of our life is on the run. We are on the way to carpool. We are on the way to work. We are on the way to our next meeting. Even when we're working home, we're on the way to another Zoom room. And so this idea of on the way being a real place that is generative, that has value, that deserves to be invested in. And if we take it for granted and don't recognize we are losing a huge chunk of ourselves. And so I love the fact that you have illuminated in your piece kind of the cracks and crevices of where we live and how we relate to each other. And I think that church, we are particularly good at taking ourselves out of the common sphere. And I think in that way, it's another way that we make ourselves uncommon but not in a good way, in a way that too often becomes irrelevant. So I really appreciate um, you using that metaphor. And for me, it definitely gave me, you know, several things to think about as we think about this way of Jesus engaging in culture and engaging in the world that we are supposed to emulate. Yeah, I think another one of the uh, important takeaways for me was, again, just careful reading of scripture and how we do exegesis in community. What struck me was that it's Jesus who says, I am the way, but we hear the church is the way. So again, somehow we are the, not just the means, but also the end. We placed ourselves very piously in a position that really isn't ours to occupy. I heard a metaphor years ago from my pastor back home in Ohio, where he said, if you're hungry and you're on a journey and you see a McDonald's sign or a restaurant sign pop up on the interstate and you pull off to grab something to eat, you don't eat the sign. You actually go into the <laughs> so this whole idea of being self-referential instead of sign that points to something else is so important. I bet you if we took a poll right now of anyone listening to this podcast, 
80% or more would say not having the church be a destination is one of the biggest temptations and biggest perils of any faith community. What makes it so darn hard not to want to build our nest in the church and forget the rest? I mean, scripture, theology, ecclesiology, all shove us out into the world. But wow, is this something we can resist powerfully. And I think that's why Steve Hainer, who, as I said in the blog, we were starting a church in our living room. It was a questionable idea, given that I had two babies and no plan. <laughs> and I think the people who were walking with us, I think there were seven of us initially when we started that church, could see, like the disciples in this text, could see our anxiety rising of, okay, we have the resources and we have each other, but what does this look like? And it can easily slip into, okay, what is the form of the church going to be? How great can this be? How can it attract people? How can we grow? How can we build? And we really needed to switch to what is the function of what we're trying to do? Mm -hmm. The form really is not important. Is the function, how do we get people to see the way, the truth, and the life. And that metaphor, which like all metaphors can be exhausted, but was incredibly helpful at the time to put us in our place, if you will, to remember the why of why we're starting this church. And it wasn't to create a better church than anybody else. Atlanta had plenty of churches. It was how do we reach people and tell them about Jesus and point to Jesus and point to a different way. Those people who don't hear the message, who are not in church anymore. I, I mentioned in the article also the vision statement that came from that was greatly informed by that idea of function over form. We are encouraging and pointing people to the way, a different way. Mm. It was an incredible relief for us as we were starting a new church to take the pressure off that we're not all that. And if we're the point, then we're doing it wrong. As you're talking, Beth, my husband and I, we also started our church in our living room. And it takes one set of skills, gifting, however you want to call it, to maintain the community that was the Bible study. However, when we transitioned and became a church, it necessarily required a different set of skills, time, outlay to maintain a church. And what it makes me think of is if we're using the airport metaphor, the airport is the function, but really what we're talking about is how do we turn hotels into airports? Because a hotel is a place for people to come and stay. And the church, as most of us know it and relate to it, is a place where people go and stay. And I think that you are so right to name that the form and function is so disaligned that it's almost like trying to figure out how to realign it in a way that is useful. You know, it's really hard to go against those who are like, just tear it all down and get rid of it. And I think particularly what we have to name is this westernized, Americanized brand of church that we have, because it is necessarily geared around power and resources and all of these kinds of conversations that I don't know about you, but when we started our church in our living room, none of that was part of the equation. Mm, yeah. It was all about relationship. It was all about fellowship. It was all about connecting people to Jesus 
and not connecting people to the church. And so I don't know how we get around it, but I can see even in my own experience, the struggle of unmaking what we've made. As a follow to that, I think it's just a hard sell. If the goal is to guide people toward the way, there's this anxiety that is associated with a destination that is seemingly always not yet. Who gets on an airplane and says, oh, we're going somewhere, and there's not an X on the map somewhere, and when you get here, you've made it there. That's very disconcerting. We love to have some certainty about where we're going to land. And between the pastor and the pew, that's just, you know, I'm not getting on if the pilot doesn't tell me (laughs) where we're going. But I think if you're going back to the text, I think that's exactly what Jesus was telling his disciples, because they were saying, we don't know where we're going. And he said, no, you do. You know where you're going. It's secure. You don't need to know everything right now. But the destination is secure, and I'm the way to get there. And we have to do a better job as church of joining in that text, I think. And to move away from the metaphor, I think the key here that was helpful in this church, but I think in all churches as we speak to pastors and facilitators and congregants is this idea of journeying. If you stop pretending that you know everything and have all the answers and that we as pastors have it all together, I think we can relax into this living together on a journey and moving together without this kind of positioning for being the expert. And I think it would alleviate a lot of stress, a lot of pressure if we just recognize that we're on the journey with our congregants and what a gift that can be. Yeah, and this goes exactly against most human nature, which loves control and loves management. And this text is exactly the opposite of that. This text is not saying that we can build a place, whether it be metaphorical or real, and be secure there and know. The text I'm thinking of is the text on manna in the wilderness. Enough for today, never enough for more other than a promise. Maybe that's why there are so many fights over church kitchens, (laughs) because we want to store it up. We want to ensure tomorrow. We want to guarantee stability. And what I hear in this text is God is our stability. God is our destination. Everything else is a means to that end. And wow, if this isn't a conversation relevant to today in most congregations, with the wall of uncertainty we are all facing about what is going on now and in the future, unless we're able to say God is our future, full stop, we're going to only have anxiety and we're going to be lost. Yeah, and it's important to name you know, what we see with, with a lot of our colleagues is this is really hard. I think of the folks who I know who would nod along vigorously with all of this and say, but gosh, it's so hard because everything you just described, Mark, is especially amplified because people, to the degree that they're still engaged with the institution as a destination or as a starting point, it's only intensified out of anxiety, out of distrust. They need that church. They need that system to be a place of certainty, of control. They need it to be an X on the map, to use Adam's illustration. And I think just of so many colleagues of ours who, uh, that's where the rubber really hits the road, and that's why it's it's really tricky. Just to push one of our metaphors to the absolute limits of imagination, it's like remodeling hotels into airports somehow. 
I mean, that's really what you're talking about. It's not as easy as jumping from one thing to the other. It's like, how are we going to realign? How are we going to just do this in a way that we could start to move in a direction where there's this a secure uncertainty, right? Um, just a sense that we are secure, we are safe, and we don't know where the Lord's taking us. That's the real tension that a lot of our colleagues, a lot of the pastors we work with find themselves in. And I'm hopeful about it because I see so much promise and people doing some wonderfully faithful and creative things. But I do think that's where most of us are. It kind of reminds me of an old conversation that we had near the beginning of the pandemic, where we were making distinctions between what it means to be certain and what it means to have confidence. Mm -hmm. That's really the dividing line. Mm -hmm. People crave certainty, what Jesus often replies with confidence. Trust me, Believe me and you will see instead of you will see and you will believe that. Or Adam, to that point in this text that Jesus is implicitly saying, you know, you all think you have the truth. You think you know how things work. Well, I'm going to really mess that up by saying I am the truth. It's a person. It's messy. It's a different way of thinking about the way that this life goes. And so, you know, all the things that Jesus says in this text kind of wrap around what you just said, um, this relationship of confidence and uncertainty. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.